huge hi to Andrew Barrett this morning, who is joining us for our Humans at Work podcast. And Humans at Work is brought to you by the Being More Human team. And we work with individuals, teams, and organizations to help you reach your potential. So hello, Andrew. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. (laughs) And we would love to know a little bit about you just to kick off. Who are you? What do you do? What kind of clients you work with? It's funny. Um, the probably the best description is I'm a reformed health and safety professional, which is funny <laughs> because most people at barbecues who work in health and safety don't want to say that they work in health and safety, and that's the reason why I'm reformed. So uh, I've spent a long time working inside organisations as an internal advisor or business partner um, in lots of different industries, in um, very specific niche roles, all, all the way through to big uh, national programs. Also worked in consulting as well. So I'm kind of quite uh, what you would call the generalist professional in that sense. And um, I realised that there are a lot of things that we do in the name of health and safety that have nothing to do with health and safety and sometimes could even be damaging to that goal. So that kind of led me on uh, a process of development and exploration um, and uh, and ultimately into my own business right now where I help organisations to uh, organisations and their leadership teams um, focus on health and safety in a more constructive way. Mm. Excellent. Sounds sounds like you've covered a lot of ground there and seen a lot of examples. So today, what we wanted to focus on is all about teams. So firstly, I'm interested in any kind of teams that you've been part of in, in the past. Does one particular team stand out that you want to share a little bit about? Yeah, it's funny. When you mentioned the word teams, the first thing that came to mind was my own team. So running a business, people often say to me, well, tell me about your team. Because I use the word we and our, and a lot of people, because I'm the only, uh, I suppose, outward facing person in the business, um, they kind of think that I'm a I'm a solopreneur or a sole trader. And so when I use the plural, people say, oh, well, tell me about your team. How many have you got on your team? And I'm like, well, it's not exactly a bums on seats, full-time equivalent kind of organisation that I run. I run a very flexible organisation at the moment. It's a small business, but I've got team members in multiple countries. I've got team members who are permanent, some are contracted. Um, I also consider that the people who work, say, in my digital agency as part of my team as well, because they're critical to my success. So when you first mentioned team, I thought, I've got to just get this out to say we have to kind of think more broadly and openly about the idea of team because it's not just about how many people sit in your desk pod in the office. Very true. And particularly these days with the increase of flexibility of work and people's arrangements and everyone being in different locations around the planet, you know, your team members could quite literally be in eight different countries or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. All right. So what what I'm interested in with teams, there is a bit of a contentious question to do with teams. Okay. And it's it, it involves whether or not a team can be high performing all of the time. So if you have a high performing team, do you think it's possible for that status to be maintained or does a team ebb and flow? Yeah, it's a, such a good question. You know the word normal? Do people ever use the word normal with you? Like what's normal or what's, you know, the new normal with COVID and that sort of stuff? Yeah. Whenever people say that, I kind of, like I'm really big into language because the words we use are really fateful. And so when someone says the word normal, I say, do you know where that kind of comes from? It comes from the normal curve. It's st- it's a statistical bell curve is, is what they call the normal curve, which means that within any group there's variability. 
So if you want to think about people adopting a new technology, there are some people who are going to camp outside of the iPhone store um, to get the new iPhone, and there are some people who don't want to give away their flip phone. Um, you know, they're, they're the tails on the end of the adoption curve, if you like. That's a normal curve. And so I think in team performance, I think about it in the same way. What you can do is you can change the shape of the distribution. You can have a team that performs very, very well for a lot more of the time than the average team would. But you definitely can't be high performing all of the time. Mm. The stress performance curve, I think, is useful to think about there, um, where you know you need a little bit of stress and a little bit of externality, a little bit of pressure in order to perform well. But then there's a tipping point, and you fall over the other side, and then you have all sorts of issues with stress and conflict and um, uh, goal confusion um, and those sorts of things. Mm. Um, and um, so what it what I I suppose the short answer to the question is that no I don't think we can do that it's the very fact that we have to be able to be adaptive and flexible um, and responsive to those teams especially when they're high performing because they just can't go all the time. Mm. And if you were looking at two teams and one was a high performing team, what would you notice about that team? What are the behaviours that you'd notice? Oh, this is such a good question. So um, you can actually hear these things and observe these things when you when you try and gather this data, if you like. So the sorts of things that I um, look for is, is there good communication, first of all? So is there a flow of information that moves between people? And that's going to be different between different teams. So it's easy for us to think about modern knowledge worker teams, but the same goes for a team of people working on a production line about, you know, like doing some kind of very repetitive task. So communication is one of those things. Good teams communicate well. Um, the other is, is that they actually have relationships. And again, those relationships are going to be different, but that they, they're not just transacting, they're interacting as humans. So I'm always a big fan of when it's break time, smoke time, lunch time, just observing what happens with teams. So do they sit together? Do they eat together? Do they just get on their phones? Um, do they laugh together? So they're probably some of the more immediate things that I have a look at. And you can do that effectively without even engaging with the team. And then there's a whole other layer of the, of the onion you can peel off once you start to engage with the team members. And do you want to go there to that other onion onion layer? Because I'd love yeah. to talk about it in a little bit more depth about what you're noticing. Because yeah. when we're learning about effective teams or exceptional teams, it's useful for us to know as much as we can about them so that we can go away and replicate that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things that I do when I um, talk with teams is it's it's normal as an outsider. So I'm an outsider. I go into organisations and teams to help them. So that I think that's important to recognise first. So as an outsider, it's not unusual that we talk to the boss because we're used to hierarchical organisations. Someone has approved the proposal or signed off the invoice or whatever. And yet that's often not the best place to start. So one of the things I do when I work with teams is I talk to each of the team members individually um, and I just get a sense of what's going on. Um, and so to the extent that these people feel like they are um, in a team that's worth staying in is important. So I'm a big believer in um, strengths-based approaches and appreciative inquiry for the listeners who are familiar with those sorts of um approaches or philosophies, if you like. And so, you know, like a good example is a lot of the time people will go into a team and they'll say, let's diagnose what's going on here. Like a doctor, make a prescription and we'll fix what's wrong. But most of the time, things are amazing. Most of the time, things are great. And most of the time, there are strengths that we can leverage. So I'll say to people, what makes this team great? Like, how long have you been here for? And why do you stay in this team? Um, they're the sorts of questions that I ask to try and understand 
what the viewpoint is from each of the members of the team. And and that, I suppose, then flows into what most people would uh, these days call, you know, the, the psychological safety conversation, you know. Do you feel like you are a valuable contributor to this team? Is it safe to be able to talk up, especially when things aren't going wrong? Because um, that's a really bad sign of an unhealthy team and organisation is when there's really big, thick filters of bad news amongst different layers of the organisation. Mm-hmm. So there's just a couple of things at that next layer. But then it depends on what the team wants to achieve. So again, um, from an appreciative inquiry point of view, and my my mode of working is almost always as a coach, which means that I am not there to impart some kind of external solution or knowledge. I'm there to discover um, the, the current state the, the desired goals and then help people work through that. So I kind of, the what happens after that just depends on where they want to go. Mm. It's, um, you know, I'm glad you raised the psychological safety element because I don't know if you're um, familiar with Google's research on highly exceptional teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the psychological safety thing coming up is the most important in that research. How do you see that play out in a team that's dysfunctional? So a team, a team that, clearly doesn't have psychological safety what do you notice there so it's kind of the inverse of some of the things things that i mentioned so information doesn't flow very well um, and relationships aren't what you would characterize as uh, positive so forget work stuff forget job titles forget tasks but um do people feel like they want to spend time with each other um i was talking with a senior leader um, this week, who uh, unfortunately kind of hit a bit of a wall. Um, and one of the things that they were challenged with in their team was that one of their team members, they just said, this senior leader said, I just can't talk to this person anymore. Like the, the relationship is gone. It is it is disintegrated. So they're the, I suppose they're the kind of inverse things that you would find in those teams. But having said that, um, I suppose the caveat on my viewpoint is that um, I generally work with uh, teams that want to go from good to great. I, I tend to, and coaching works really, really well in that context. When you've got real problems, it needs a different kind of skill set, and that's not my skill set. Um, so I suppose that's a caveat in terms of my sample. Yeah, size. no, no, I understand. So you don't work with dysfunctional teams per se. You're working from teams that are already tracking pretty well and making them better. Yeah, that's right. And the reason for that is, and I think it's useful for, for any leader to have a think about this, is what's my mode of operating? So um, a, a lot of the time in business, um, and I think this is a fundamental problem that has come, that, that is really more than 100 years old in the way that we think about organisations as machines. So what we do, because engineers and, and production people made factories and that's why economies flourished and et cetera, we still think about um, organisations and teams as machines, parts that are sometimes broken or defective and need to be fixed. That's that's what I call the doctor mindset. So we go in, we diagnose, we prescribe something, and then it should fix it. Um, and what we know, the research is really, really clear about this, is that uh, organisations don't work well when they're conceptualised as machines. And diagnosis and prescription, especially from outsiders like me, generally doesn't work well. Um, so in an organisational development um, kind of context, you know, the culture surveys, the engagement pieces of work, generally speaking, those broad organisational interventions don't work because they're diagnostic. Um, and so instead, um, my approach is more dialogic, um, which is let's actually just get curious about what's already here. And that ties in with some of those strengths-based approaches. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite team that you've ever been a part of? Oh, that's such a good question. Oh, 
if you can think back and think, you know, I guess an indicator is you're waking up, you're getting out of bed in the morning, and what goes through your head about your team? Are you like, you beauty, I'm off to hang out with my buddies? Or are you like, oh, I wish I didn't have to get out of bed because I don't like the people I work with? It's funny. Again, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, going back to the definition of team. So without, without this might sound pithy, but the first thing that came to my mind is my family as a team. Like we work really, really well as a team. I have six kids um, and, and my wife is an absolute legend. And so as a unit, I think we work remarkably well given, <laughs> given the resource demands that happen in a household with eight people. Um, but otherwise thinking about a team, I think my, my current team um, is amazing. And um, the, one of the things that is part of my mission, so I host the Safety on Tap podcast and it's it fits in the professional development category, but it was effectively me trying to scratch my own itch about how do I become a better leader, health and safety leader, practitioner, professional, whatever you want to call it, so that my influence, my how many hours and how much activity I do in a day can make more impact. So there's this question about leverage. So having a podcast like you do, you one conversation reaches many hundreds or many thousands of people. That's leveraged. So in that sense, I think my current team is amazing because we all work together for leverage. And I mean, an example of that is um, a current client of mine um, who who I would actually co- kind of consider to be part of my team because this client is is almost like an advisor and peer mentor for me. Um, started me. Um, or st- kind of nudged me into the direction of um, uh, improving health and safety outcomes through institutional investors. So if you think about money drives behaviour, quarterly reporting in publicly held companies, um, KPIs that um, where, where you get what you measure, all that sort of stuff. And so this, this client of mine said, you know what, you and your team should be thinking more about following the money. So we're doing work with um, some superannuation funds and pension funds, which is kind of the North American equivalent, um, and also looking at insurance companies to say, well, how can we use that money to drive different outcomes? So oh, that's, I, that, I probably didn't answer your question well, but my current team is excellent because it helps me leverage. That's probably the key thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Um... If you think about the way that leverage works, that's really the core essence of why you'd want to be in a team in the first place is because the team can provide leverage for an idea or a process or a system or whatever they're providing leverage for or about. That's ultimately why you want a team, you know, because of some of the parts. Yeah. We, We are rapidly coming to our time, but I do want to ask you one closing question, which is... If you could give one handy hint to all the team members out there who are listening about being a great team member, yep. what would that hint be? Be curious. Be more curious. So whatever your worldviews are, whatever your assumptions about other people, hold them a little less tightly. And if you're more curious, it means you answer more questions and you'll listen more and empathy will go up and you'll ultimately learn more. And as a team, whether you're in a team of two or a team of 100, that is that is always performance improving. And what a fantastic way to wrap up, Andrew. I love the idea of being curious. And I think, um, was it Alice in Wonderland who said curious or incurious? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so thank you so much for your insight and your wisdom and your tips about teams today. We appreciate your time. It's been great to chat with you, Michelle. 